Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio, where we help you navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just won't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 132 with expert Dr. Terry Walls. I also want to let you know that this week, Aurora, our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, is not here in the studio with us. She's with her twin sister, and they are cavorting around the California coast to celebrate their birthdays. Oh, I'm not quite sure when Aurora's coming back from her adventures, but as soon as she does, we will get her right back in the studio. So in the meantime, you're stuck with me. Luckily, we have a fabulous guest, and in this episode, you're going to learn the similarities between treating VA patients and Lyme disease patients, how to create a shift from your food budget to your grocery budget, and how the work Dr. Walls and her organization have put in have yielded awareness for conferences, fundraisers, and even state legislation. Also, I'd like to give a special thanks to those ninjas out there who are helping us produce this podcast by subscribing to Lime Ninja Radio at LimeNinjaRadio.com. You too can help for as little as $4 a month, and we really, really appreciate it. So thanks to Carol, Todd, Jeremy, and Lillian for subscribing to Lime Ninja Radio recently. And here is Dr. Wall's bio. Dr. Terry Walls is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts trials that test the effect of nutrition and lifestyle interventions to treat multiple sclerosis and other progressive health problems. She is also a patient with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt-recline wheelchair for four years. Dr. Walls restored her health using a diet and lifestyle program she designed specifically for her brain and now pedals her bike to work each day. She's the author of several books, including her new cookbook, The Walls Protocol Cooking for Life, The Revolutionary Modern Paleo Plan to Treat All Chronic Autoimmune Conditions. And the subject of this podcast centers around her new book and the practical advice she has in there. So please have a listen with me. Here's our interview with health expert, Dr. Terry Walls. You have a new book that is about to come out. Yes. In, in, yes. Well, we're recording this on March 31st. So in a few days, it's official release. Correct. Correct. It'll be out uh, April 4th. You know, and I'm, I'm just so ex- uh, excited about this Um uh, since I uh, my first book in 2014, uh, I uh, at the VA had a therapeutic lifestyle clinic that I ran for several years, uh, and I do have to acknowledge that that I've uh, retired from the VA. But while I was there, we ran the lifestyle clinic, uh, and we took people with autoimmune disease, neurologic problems, medical problems, mental health issues. The requirement was you just had to be willing to do diet and lifestyle because that's that's all we dealt with. And it was so clear that people have forgotten how to cook. They they were uncomfortable uh, in the kitchen. Uh, and so a, a key message that we did is we ran cooking classes, teaching people, you know, that uh, bacon and greens uh, could be their favorite vegetable. It was easy to make. It was quite delicious, fast. Uh, we showed them how uh, green smoothies could be really fun and helped them reimagine uh, their relationship with food uh, how to make food, uh, making menus, doing uh, uh, shopping lists so they could have the uh, skills. And instead of going to fast food, they could actually prepare food at home. Uh, and because of that wonderful success, it was very apparent to me that a uh, big thing that we could do for the public uh, is to make a cookbook uh, and help people become more comfortable with cooking, um, and comfortable with that you can do this even if you're pressed for money uh, or if you're pressed for time uh, or both. Uh, 
Uh, and so this is our gift back to the world to help them get more comfortable back in the kitchen. You know, that is such an, it's a powerful piece. And you mentioned that you think people have forgotten how to cook, A. And then there's the, the experiential thing, what we consider to be so simple. We're both clinicians. And I'll tell my patients, oh, you know, go and pick up some coconut oil. And in the old days, before I got wise to this, they would come back in, you know, a couple of weeks and said, so did you get the coconut oil? And I said, oh, no, you know what happened? I went to the grocery store and there were four different coconut oils and I didn't know which one to choose. So I didn't get any. And it's that practical, yeah, yeah. the really right. rubber meeting the road, practical, simple things that often just stops things cold. So this whole idea that you had in creating this clinic or experiential workshops, you had, you had a test kitchen at the VA, right? Or a teaching kitchen. Basically, yeah, yeah. We had uh, what's called okay. a, a healthy kitchen. Uh, my a partner in the lifestyle clinic uh, was a registered dietitian. Susanna Levan, uh, who really uh, was instrumental uh, in our clinic. Uh, and, you know, we started out first with me just doing the talking. Uh, and uh, Suzanne and I began to see that uh, we really need to figure out how to get the healthy kitchen into our clinic. Uh, so, of course, that, you know, that takes a while in any big uh, bureaucracy to get all of those approvals in place. But we did. And then we're able to uh, bring our healthy kitchen in, do food demonstrations, uh, make food, let people uh, taste and sample the food we're making. And um, it, that was very, very helpful with uh, getting people uh, more comfortable and much more successful. Uh, and then that led to this, you know, growing word of mouth expansion of our clinic. And so, you know, by the time I retired, we had a nine-month wait, waiting list to get into our clinic because there was so much uh, demand that was driven, you know, solely by word of mouth of the veterans, uh, back to other veterans. And, of course, the referring physicians seeing us take the most difficult cases, because we're happy to say, you know, your, your most difficult, challenging patients who are willing to do diet and lifestyle, send them to us. Uh, and so, you know, clinicians also were really glad to send people to us. Yeah, I was just listening to a physician the other day saying the exact same thing. Uh, that, you know, the, she was asked, what do you need most help with? And she said, I need help with the patients that I don't have time to help. They're really difficult. They have multi uh, yeah. uh, s- symptoms, multiple symptoms and multiple issues yeah. going on. And just with the model that they have, they desperately want to help these people, but yeah. they, they don't have the time. They don't have the time. Uh, it's certainly true in the VA. Uh, they're like any other large system. The primary care uh, folks are seeing lots, lots and lots of people. Don't have much time. These are complicated patients. Um, I'd say you know it's not uncommon to have people on twenty plus medications. Their uh, severe pain that was poorly controlled was very common. Uh, brain fog uh, was certainly very common. Severe fatigue was common. So those are the three biggest symptoms. But the di- underlying diagnoses, you know, would range from lots of autoimmune problems, um, diabetes, obesity, fatty liver disease, uh, heart failure, um, neurologic things like uh, Parkinson's, uh, early memory loss, early even moderate dementia, uh, myasthenia gravis, um it, it uh, in a variety of uh, really obtuse neurological things I've, I've never frankly heard of, but you know often there, there's nothing to offer these folks, and so they were very glad uh, to come uh, work with us. And I'm very interested in the parallels between the some of the VA population that you were working with and the Lyme population because there's s- similar struggles. There's the there's the, oh, absolutely. the the money side of things. Often people with chronic Lyme have exhausted their front line and their savings and they're really getting by day to day. Uh, a big secret out there is a lot of them are going to food pantries to get their food for the month. Uh, and yeah. I know uh, some of the people, the folks in the VA are, are on the same thing. They're on on uh, food stamps or, and just scraping by. And so, yeah, yeah so we talk right, about organic yeah. food and, you know, all this really. healthy stuff, and that stuff can be expensive. And they're like, it's just not 
possible for them. Uh, and you know, wh- one of the uh, huge struggles I had uh, and I had to come to terms with was when I agreed to start the life, uh, lifestyle clinic at the VA, I agreed that I would not do these exotic uh, laboratory testing uh, associated with a lot of functional medicine practices. And I would not uh, push to take uh, these uh, pricey supplements. Um, so I, I was doing this with basic primary care labs like homocysteine and some uh, vitamin levels, uh, lipid levels, uh, and uh, B vitamins and fish oil. Uh, and so we, we had people come in. They didn't have any money. Uh, and so I learned, like, okay, so we can't talk about organic because that's not uh, a possibility. So we talked about, uh, yes, you're going to have to eat vegetables. Uh, and uh, I'd rather you do yams, but if you have to do potatoes as part of your vegetables, uh, that's a starch. But we still need these other vegetables. So we talked about gardening, foraging, uh, and that, yes, you can use canned vegetables, but uh-huh. drink the juice. It doesn't have to be organic, uh, but you do need uh, a wide variety of vegetables and uh, a wide variety of uh, meat, fish, uh, poultry sources, and that the goal is to have 200 different species of plants that you'll no consume kidding. over the year. How did you come up with that number? So, uh, well, uh, I came up with that number because our ancestors, you know, before we became farmers, we would have consumed 200 plants uh, on average, and this is across the globe, uh, whether you're in Africa or South America or North America, uh, we would have had uh, this se- wide seasonal variation uh, of, of plants and animals that we're consuming, which gave us a you know a wealth of information for our genes to react to, and our microbiome to react to, uh, and now our our food intakes are often so narrow. It's like corn, maybe onions potatoes, peas, and carrots, and sort of like right. my, maybe string beans, and, and that would be You know, we're coming up on spring, and it reminds me two of the traditional foraged foods would be dandelion greens and fiddleheads. Yeah, exactly, and that's delicious. just the sort of thing that nobody does anymore. You know, if you quit spraying the lawn, <laughs> the, uh, you'll have uh, all the, all these uh, wild broadleaf yep. uh, foods coming up. Uh, now you still need to have some instruction to to learn to know which is edible and which is not. But throughout North America, there is an abundance of edible food for us, um, and. Uh, if we can help people to realize to stop buying foods that are harmful, uh, get uh, the vegetables and meat. Well, you know, another thing that we we uh, had to cover was what's in the food budget. Uh, and so we'd outline that everything that goes in your mouth mm. is part of the food budget. All of your beverages, alcoholic right. and non-alcoholic, fancy coffees, fancy teas, water, anything you're paying for that's liquid that you put in your mouth and drink, Cough that's drops. part of your food budget. <laughs> I also included uh, I included uh, tobacco because you put it in your mouth. That's, uh, that's part. part of your food budget. The uh, fast food and restaurant meals and their tips, uh, that's part of the food budget. And then finally, the grocery bill is part of the budget. So we're going to be shifting money from going out, uh, your beverages, your fast food, we're going to shift that into your grocery budget, and we're going to teach you how to uh, plan your groceries so you actually eat all that food. You, you aren't throwing things away. I mean, so 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 there are many skills uh, that we talk about, uh, and that I talk about in my book because I need people to you know step by step uh, acquire these skills, and then I also teach them how to learn um, how to use a recipe as a template and to feel. The goal is to have them feel comfortable uh, improvising uh, in the kitchen with what they have, what's uh, fresh in season, uh, what is their culinary traditions, and their preferences for herbs. So that, that the goal is to have people, by the end, you know, after using my book 
for however long it takes them, a year, maybe six months, maybe two years, that they now will feel very comfortable uh, improvising and looking at a recipe uh, and feeling like, okay, I can start with this and do a riff on it based on, you know, what I've got left over uh, in my refrigerator or what I'm going to find out in my garden or what I'll find out in my foraging walk uh, uh, in the neighborhood uh, past these empty city lots. I'm just just outside uh, a small, uh, struggling city here in central New York, Utica, New York, and it has lots of abandoned houses. They, they figured out a hundred years ago, 150 years ago, how to annex the city as it was growing to keep the tax base. But now Mm -hmm. they can't annex anymore. And as people leave the city for the suburbs, and we've had a massive influx of immigrants, uh, due to national, uh, priorities. Uh, at the time, we'll see if that still keeps yeah, on yeah. Uh, flowing in. But without that, the the city would be an absolute shell. But w- nobody's figured out how to shrink a city. And these plots, there are people doing urban uh, oh. farmsteading and and things like that, and they're on a small scale. But it's it's amazing, and that's and that's a big part of like the the VA population. And it, th- there's yeah. a parallel out there. In, in the countryside too, and those are the men who are working on the t- the, the, yeah. the 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 lumber yards. Uh, they're doing outdoor work and and getting bit and having very similar, and they may be vets too, having similar problems, you know, with Lyme yeah. disease. And yeah, you know, absolutely. And uh, from what I'm reading, it looks like the vectors uh, carrying the Lyme uh, are exp- steadily expanding across the U.S. And so I think the uh, number of uh, people infected uh, will likely continue to climb. And the number of people who've been inadequately treated, likewise, will also continue to climb. So I'm on a uh, mission. Go ahead. I think it's, yeah. Well, I I mean, I I think it's really important for us, uh, uh, for the functional medicine, the integrative medicine practitioners, to be more attuned to uh, these Lyme issues. I mean, I, I certainly want the conventional docs uh, to be aware of it, uh, but I, I certainly agree with you. This is a, uh, an issue that will simply get bigger and bigger due to the climate changes. Absolutely. A- and the one of the issues we run into is the narrow definitions medical, just the way the medical world works, is Lyme disease is Borrelia burgdorferi, mm-hmm. and now the CDC has included uh, Miyamotai in there as well, so two versions of it. But... That's just two bacteria. There are lots of chronic low-grade, I'm going to call them quote-unquote low-grade infections. You know, it's not the flu. It's not dengue fever that's going to kill you in, in a week yeah. or so. It's going to take years and years and years to, to poison your system. And it's the same set of mitochondrial damage that you're talking about with MS and that you address with the WALS protocol. Yeah. And it's whether or not the person kind of gets the bugs out of their system with antibiotics or however they do that. And then it's a matter of uh, reprogramming and rebuilding the mitochondria or whether there's still a low-grade infection. It doesn't really matter. The, the treatments are the same, and that's why I love having you on the show is mm-hmm. you bring that foundational idea there and your cookbook is such such a great step yeah. how to guide you know I, I think um, uh, one of the most powerful things that uh, I've, I've done in this whole conversation is to talk about the critical role of, of supporting cellular health mitochondrial health uh, through uh, you know maximally dense food nutrition which is the, the diet and then, you know, very targeted uh, supplement use. Uh, and as we address cellular and mitochondrial health, because life in general is a self-correcting chemistry, uh, people often find that uh, the greater attention they pay to the cellular and mitochondrial health, uh, the more energy they have, uh, the less severe the fatigue is, the less severe the brain fog is and the quality of life steadily improves. And I think the underlying mechanism is that the most potent antibiotic or antiviral or antiparasitic we have is a healthy, robust immune system 
Uh, and to get that, we need to address, you know, our, our toxic load issues, our hormonal imbalance, and the nutritional issues, uh, which the Walls Protocol is a great foundation for all that stuff. So let's get into the specifics here a little bit. So you mentioned, especially when you're dealing with a, a limited budget, a, a little bit ago you talked yeah. about getting and I'm, I forget the exact word you use, the poisons out of your food stream. Now, tobacco's obviously, everybody yeah. knows that, even if we ignore it, we know that tobacco's not good for you. But what are some of the other common things that people need to take out? So, so uh, here are the things that we talk about. Um, you know, first, your personal care products. Uh, one, uh, mostly we don't need them. Uh, there are millions of dollars spent convincing us that uh, we need all these personal care products that are filled with uh, a variety of compounds that would enter uh, through our skin. We have to process and eliminate, and so there's strain on our detox processes. So we talk about using things like coconut oil for your deodorant, uh, or just using soap and water uh, every day, and you, and you don't need any deodorant. Um, and just using olive oil or some other oil uh, for your hand lotion if you're suffering from uh, dry hands. So, so we spent some time talking about uh, uh, personal care products and how to just use coconut oil or olive oil as needed for these products, including brushing your teeth. Brushing your teeth with coconut oil is just uh, marvelous. Uh, it's really very good for you. Then I have people start with the conventional foods according to what they can afford. Then we also talk uh, about the environmental working group, Clean 15, Dirty Dozen. Uh, we just tell people how to get those guides. And I'll say in, it's very common that uh, people, uh, when they first come to us, they're, you know, the food pantry may be helping them out a lot. Uh, they're uh, definitely uh, uh, just doing conventional food. And their first struggle is to get them off the gluten and dairy and get them uh, uh, off of those uh, two foods that can be very inflammatory. Then the next step is to begin to use the Clean 15 Dirty Dozen. Uh, and so uh, looking for if they're going to have or, uh, organ meats to be sure that the uh, liver uh, and other organ meats that they're buying are from organic uh, animals. Uh, so that would be the first priority. Uh, the next priority um, will depend on what the uh, Clean 15 and Dirty Dozen are showing us and what their uh, food preferences are. But that's it. it. It's really very common. As people begin to feel better, they begin uh, in their own very uh, inventive ways to improve the quality of the food that they're eating, uh, be it uh, uh, a community-sponsored agriculture uh, gardening, a container garden, community gardening, uh, or foraging in the uh, city abandoned lots. People begin to figure it out, but they have to begin to feel better first. Uh, that's uh, that's the uh, first step. So you find that as people begin to heal some, their creativity and their willpower return? Uh, yes, uh, Absolutely. And their willingness to put a little effort into investigating, finding out what their options are, uh, and then actually, you know, uh, for example, getting a community-sponsored agricultural share or figuring out there is an abandoned city lot uh, and we can uh, go forage for our wild greens there. Uh, then, next thing we know, they're figuring out where in their locale uh, they can do community gardening. So uh, you, you know we had we'd have these group classes, uh, and so after the initial intake, they'd have a group class. In, in the group class, we'd have people who'd been more senior have had been to class several times, and then the newbies for this is their first group, and the more senior folks are teaching the newbies through their experience in validation how to begin to explore <clears throat> this important issue of improving food quality. So. Do you think that's part of their military training that they do that naturally? Do you think that just happens naturally in groups of human beings? 
Well, yeah, I think it happens naturally in groups that do things. If you have a mixed uh, experience group, so when you start your group, you can either have a group, everybody starts at the same time, great social bonding, and that's extremely powerful. Or you can have a group where people um, come in the group, stay in the group for a year, and then graduate, and you keep having an influx of new people. So you always have a mix of more senior participants and junior participants uh, in the group. And that's powerful in a different way because you get to have a lot of peer-to-peer teaching uh, and knowledge uh, sharing. And uh, while people enjoy my stories, they really benefit immensely from hearing from their peers who are also struggling with you know, profound fatigue, pain, uh, have their peers say, hang in there, it will get easier. Uh, and then have their peers talk about, and I figured out how to do uh, a container garden. And so now I've got fresh greens every day. Or, you know, I figured out that uh, we have a, a local group of people who are interested, and we do a forage walk uh, yeah, through uh, our local uh, wherever. Oh, that's a great idea. Uh, and so the the more experienced people in the in the peer group can help the new folks learn how how to make life work and and, and what to do when the grandkids <laughs> come and they want to and they want to uh, have something right. fun for the grandkids but they know if they have uh, those yummy treats that are filled with gluten and sugar in the house of course they're going to eat them so now they need to figure out okay I need something fun for the grandkids. I need it not to be harmful for me. I need to be able to afford how to do this. Help me figure that out. You know, you're talking about the different types of groups. It reminded me of an article I read about the, the Chinese diving teams, Olympic diving teams, and they've become quite dominant. And one of their strategies is they mix experience levels. They just don't have the Olympians trained by themselves. They bring in the younger divers so they can just by osmosis and by hanging out learn the the tricks of the trade so to speak so that it's very interesting that you talk about that the other thing i want to bring up is you say in the first phase to eliminate eggs yeah that's such a great inexpensive food source but i want to hear your thoughts on that yeah well let me explain why um so gluten dairy and eggs are the three most common food sensitivities uh, in North America. Uh, And uh, so it will depend on the circumstances. I may tell people in our clinic, just take out the gluten and dairy uh, because that's the most important. And perhaps they really need the eggs, uh, for example, the vegetarian or vegan. But if they can, I take the eggs out uh, for ideally 100 days along with gluten and dairy. And then at the end of the 100 days, uh, if they uh, like eggs, they can reintroduce the eggs. I'll, I'll suggest just do the egg yolks at first, see if they tolerate that, and then add the egg white because it's the egg white that causes the... And will you pause flour. there for a second because that's uh, such opposite. The, Everybody's doing egg whites because yeah. of the calories and cholesterol. And <laughs> why, I, I know why, and I think some of the people out there know why, but let's just explain it in black and white well let's dive in so uh the egg has the vitamin a the vitamin d uh the special fats uh choline uh it has in a very intensive way uh, a lot of the building blocks that we need for our cells for our cell membranes for our mitochondria it is uh, really the superfood the egg white is the protein which can also be very good for us but Proteins can cause an abnormal immune response. So I, I take out the, the, the egg protein, the egg white, uh, the dairy protein, the gluten uh, in the grain protein, because so many of us have developed this abnormal immune response to those proteins. After 100 days, go ahead, try the eggs. And I'd say, you know, uh, many, many people will tolerate those eggs and can put them back in their diet without without any problem. I cannot. If I have eggs, I'm going to have a flare of my face pain. So even though I love eggs, I uh, stay off the eggs. Uh, Now, the other other, uh, observation that we have is people who have rheumatoid arthritis 
or an autoimmune disease affecting their joints. So rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, uh, sacroiliatus, uh, psoriatic arthritis, those folks I have also take out nightshades. Uh, so that'd be the potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants, peppers. Uh, and we, we would do all of that for 100 days. And then uh, I asked them, uh, are there foods they'd like to reintroduce? And we do one new food per, uh, ingredient uh, per week and see how they do with that. Now, let's move on a little bit. So that's that's level one of your protocol. Correct. Really eliminating, adding in some greens, some vegetables, and eliminating these these foods that cause a problem. Then, correct. And we really ramp up the vegetables. You know, the, the target is nine cups of vegetables uh, for men and women. Smaller amounts if you're really petite. No need to stuff yourself, but it's vegetables and meat is what we want you to have. A lot of vegetables. You, you break it down so it's, you can't just do nine cups of strawberries. <laughs> correct, correct. We have a very uh, specific structure so you, there. You say three cups of uh, raw cooked leafy greens, three cups of colored vegetables, which include some berries, and then... What's the deal with sulfur-rich vegetables, the broccoli? I mean, those are the things that people don't like because yeah. of their taste. Brussels sprouts. I mean, who likes correct, Brussels sprouts? Correct. Well, some so, people do. But. <laughs> oh, my God. They can be so delicious, though. They can be so delicious. Um, so the the sulfur-rich group, and I was very specific. They wanted cabbage family, uh, onion family, mushroom family in particular because they have particularly potent health benefits. The cabbage and onion family are really good for your blood vessels. They're really good for uh, the uh, liver and kidneys to help support that uh, processing and detoxification and removal process. Uh, they're also good for the brain and making uh, gamma aminobutyric acid, uh, which is a very important uh, neurotransmitter that helps keep us nice and calm and mellow. So... Uh, and then mushrooms are uh, very good at priming our natural killer cells in the immune uh, system, which is very, very helpful. And there are a number of animal studies that show uh, eating mushrooms uh, increases the production of uh, nerve growth factors in the brain. So some great things in that food group. Uh, so that's part of why it's in that lineup of uh, foods that went now to with stress. the mushrooms are there specific strains there or well you know again i uh, I'm flexible with folks so if all you can afford is the white button mushrooms there are many healing attributes with those white button mushrooms uh, if you can afford the more exotic shiitake again many uh, great healing benefits uh, the lion's mane uh, mushroom uh, has wonderful healing benefits. Uh, so I encourage uh, adding mushrooms according to what you can find. If you forage for mushroom, mushrooms, then you want to be sure that you have a lot of experience and knowledge so that you can safely identify the health-promoting mushrooms uh, and avoid the uh, poisonous mushrooms that make you extremely yeah. ill or potentially you know when you talk about forgetting how to cook we have forgotten how to forage for sure yeah i, I yeah. know i would be totally lost out there i just look at the mushrooms yeah i mean i have to remind people that uh just because it's a plant doesn't mean <laughs> but, it's but it's natural <laughs> uh, so you have I, I know so we have to have that conversation too so people know that you have to know how to identify the plants and be confident of those plants. Right, and so how you to don't prepare them. Trouble. I uh, use a line yeah. of Chinese supplements uh, in my office, and one of the herbs that they use is called aconite, and it's actually a preparation of root. And the, the man who sells them hires somebody in China to oversee the preparation of this root because if it's done incorrectly, it's poisonous. So most herbalists just avoid it completely, but he thinks it's such a valuable herb. Yeah. But the preparation is absolutely critical. And that's it's such an important point. Just because it's natural doesn't mean it's it's safe. 
which and Correct. and you mentioned. Correct. Well, actually, I want to pause here. You mentioned the uh, the studies with the mushrooms. Will you tell me about your study or studies that have come out? Oh, yes. thank you, thank you, thank you. We're, we're just so exciting. So, uh, our original pilot study of twenty people with progressive MS, uh, we reported uh, significant drops in fatigue severity. So the energy improved. Uh, we have improvements in quality of life. Um, then we had a uh, follow-up study where we uh, used the diet in relapsing remitting MS, and it was randomized. So people either had to wait 12 weeks or they got the diet right away. And so we compared people during the waiting period to the intervention period, and we were able to show, again, that... Uh, 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 reduced fatigue, improved quality of life, and now we're able to show uh, improved walking ability and improved wow. uh, hand function. Uh, then we got some more money so we could continue the analysis of all this data that we have uh, from that very first study. Uh, and uh, we have two papers that have just been accepted for publication. Uh, one is going to the Journal of American College of Nutrition, and that will come out in print in this month's, you know, the March-April uh, edition. Uh, and in that, we're talking about the favorable changes in with a reduction in uh, depression, anxiety, and improvement in a variety of thinking measures. Uh, and then we did some correlations between uh, these clinical outcomes and uh, how compliant they were with our recommendations. Very fun paper. Uh, that'll be out uh, here uh, very soon. And I just received notice yesterday that the paper that we had uh, that uh, describes the change in gait uh, in these folks was accepted. Uh, and uh, without, that will be very exciting because that paper uh, is in an open access journal uh, and our videos of people walking when we first enrolled and at the end are uh, included in this paper. So I anticipate that when that paper uh, is finally released to the public, probably in the next couple of weeks, uh, that we'll also be able to have uh, people be able to see those before that's, and after videos, which are really quite Yeah, that's such quite, a great compelling. idea. And is that going coming out in plus one or another one? Um, no, that'll be coming out in a, a Dove Press journal, the uh, Degenerative Neurological okay. and Neuromuscular Diseases. Uh, so... Uh, very, uh, very excited about that paper. Um, we also have some funding now to uh, look at, because uh, we have 10 MRIs from our first paper at uh, one month and at 12 months. So we're looking at the structural changes, uh, and we're looking at uh, what the projected changes in progressive MS would be, uh, which is sort of challenging because most of the studies have been done in relapsing remitting MS. So there are very few studies that have looked uh, structurally at progressive MS. And that's because hmm. it is so bad. Uh, with progressive MS, we expect a 10 to 20% decline with, every with year. No, with uh, no let so up and no change, just, yeah. They've not had yeah. uh, successful drug trials uh, for that, that disease state yet. And then I suppose the next thing that is incredibly exciting is, you know, because we're able to have this uh, lovely preliminary data, uh, the National Multiple Sclerosis Society has funded the clinical trials that we are doing. Uh, and so uh, we got a little over a million dollars to run this study. We have a, uh, uh, we'll be enrolling 100 folks, and we have, I think, 24 that have been enrolled thus far. Uh, and so, you know, we have a, uh, about a quarter of the way in, uh, and it's just uh, you know, very, very gratifying uh, to see our progress and to see uh, the enthusiasm of the public in terms of participating in our study and, of course, the uh, support of the MS Society in our being able to do this study. That's amazing news and amazing work. And just a, for my sake here, clarify this: or the intervention in these in the study or the original study was it purely dietary, or did you include some of these supplements that you were talking so, about? Yeah. So in the original study, 
uh, we did everything that I did. So diet, targeted vitamins and supplements, uh, stress reduction practice, exercise, electrical stimulation of muscles. So it's a multimodal intervention. The second study that I mentioned, which is the uh, relapsing remitting uh, MS study, was only diet. Uh, and then the study that I'm doing now uh, compares the Swank diet, which is a low saturated fat diet, and the Walls diet. Uh, and uh, so we have two different diets, and we uh, took their vitamin supplement re- uh, recommendations, my vitamin, uh, vitamin supplement recommendations, merged them, so both groups are getting the same set of vitamins and supplements. What are your recommendations? Like, what's the foundation vitamin that you think people need? Supplements. What aren't we getting from our diet? Well, um, yeah. So, sunlight is incredibly <laughs> foundational. It's we so basic, isn't it? Uh, and our eyes need sun so that our brain knows what time of day it is, and we make melatonin at the right time so we sleep at night. So, sunlight in extremely foundational. We need to get outside without sunglasses and look at the sky so we get uh, uh, the appropriate light into our eyeballs. And then we've got to quit using all, you know, all these computer electronic devices at night so we can, we can sleep. Uh, second thing I like to do is have people check their vitamin D level and take a vitamin D supplement to get their vitamin D level at least in the so top what, half of the class. What number do the you like to say as a minimum? Well, you know, my preference is to have people between 50 yeah. and 100 nanograms. Uh, so that that's where I want people uh, to get to. Um, I, I want them, if you're going to take all that vitamin D, as you know, people need also right. vitamin A and vitamin K uh, for us to utilize the calcium appropriately in our bones and teeth and to keep the ectopic calcium away from our heart valves and blood vessels. Now, I do that by having people eat liver and lots of greens. Yeah, and the other thing you can do is to take some cod liver oil. Uh, and so we like to have cod liver oil. Uh, and I will adjust that in part uh, according to their uh, triglyceride level and their good cholesterol level. So I'm trying to get the good cholesterol level up, triglycerides down, and insulin sensitivity up. So I'll make some adjustments uh, with the fish oil to achieve that. Uh, and then uh, the other thing I like to measure is the homocysteine uh, and use that to guide how much B12, folate, and B-complex vitamins uh, the person needs. So I'm trying to get the homocysteine down below 7. I'm furiously taking notes. <laughs> so that's, yeah. So it's interesting to it, me that, that primarily, except for the, the B vitamins, it's, it's fat-soluble vitamins you're talking about, the K, the A, the D. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think uh, uh, many of us are short on those fat-soluble vitamins. Uh, we really need those uh, to have healthy cell membranes. We need those, uh, uh, well, for our bones and teeth and to make sure we don't have this ectopic calcium uh, in our blood vessels and heart valves. So they'll create a huge problem. And our intake of these fat-soluble vitamins has plummeted. Uh, and we, we've screwed up our um, fat and oil intake by having all these uh, uh, polyunsaturated vegetable oils, corn oil, soybean oil, cottonseed oil, that uh, are, are, are we should not cook with, and we really just shouldn't use that stuff. I, I think all those oils are harmful. I would much rather people use olive oil, flax oil, walnut oil, uh, and some combination of those oils. And if you're going to cook... You know, and I talk about this at length in my book. If you're going to cook, you should use a fat that's solid at room temperature. It's so important. That's one of those don't add in poisons that you don't need. Oh, gosh. Absolutely. That's one of the problems with eating out, isn't it? It's all those are those giant cartons of soybean oil uh, that may or may not be partially that, hydrogenated, so they that, could look like solid at room temperature, but that's just pretend. Well, you know, and you uh, eat these fat, these foods that are fried uh, in these uh, frying 
vats will have oils that have been in there frying things for several days. And the longer you keep them hot, the more frying you do, the more trans fats you make and the more harmful the oil is and the food that's coming out of that uh, vat. And also, uh, I mean, eating out, uh, the quality of the food is not going to be as good. It's going to be expensive. You could have uh, eaten at home. Uh, it's gotten much higher quality food. Uh, and from my point of view, have a much more delicious meal. Uh, so I would much rather people eat, eat at home. If you have friends you're meeting, uh, you know, eat in someone's home. Uh, now, sure you must life. travel a ton and have to eat out. <laughs> How do you manage keeping your diet relatively clean? You know, it has gotten immensely easier, actually. Uh, so I, I've learned a couple of tricks. Uh, one is I will uh, uh, often pack a head of cabbage uh, because that travels so easily. It doesn't have to be refrigerated. And so I've got some vegetables that I can eat all the time. Um, I, and I may pack a tin or two of uh, soybeans or sard- uh, pardon me, sardines or smoked oysters uh, as snacks. Uh, and then when I go to a restaurant, I will uh, tell my wait staff that I have a severe reaction to gluten, dairy, and eggs that could put me in the hospital. Uh, so I'd like to know what uh, is safe to eat in this restaurant, or do I need to go to another restaurant? Then they'll get, they go talk to the chef. The chef often comes out <laughs> to chat with me, and we work out that I want lots of vegetables and some meat, and they really don't want to have any sauce on it other than olive oil after it's cooked because the sauces are often prepared somewhere else, and uh, I've learned to not trust uh, sauces in general. So with that conversation, often the chef may offer to prepare a platter of vegetables, some grilled meat, because uh, often we're, I'm going out with a, a, a group, and so we decide that, okay, we'll, we'll do the uh, platter of vegetables uh, in the meat, we get a great meal uh, for a less, uh, less expensive price. It is, I mean, many restaurants do have gluten-free menus uh, and are more familiar with that term. Um, but, I mean, once you talk to the wait staff and say, you know, severe reaction, that'll put me in the hospital with these foods, then they'll take it really quite seriously and figure out uh, how to get stuff for you. And so it's either a big salad uh, with grilled meat uh, and olive oil uh, and vinegar uh, for a dressing, or they'll do uh, cooked vegetables, steamed vegetables with olive oil that I can put on afterwards uh, in grilled meat. Uh, and th- uh, that works very well. Great advice. Thank you. I'll write down that tip as well. Now, Dr. Walsh, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I want to give you the last word in case there's anything we haven't covered and one last chance to let people know about your book and where they can look for it and pre-orders and your websites and all sure. the conferences you're doing and everything. I mean, you're well, doing so much. It's amazing. Well, you know, we're trying to make it health. And so we need to get the information out there. We need to train other clinicians to do this work as well. So first, uh, uh, please go to your local bookstore and pick up uh, the book because I want to support our independent bookstores as well as we can. Your uh, next option is to go to my website, Terry Walls, T-E-R-R-Y, Walls, W-A-H-L-S dot com. And I have links to order my original book and my cookbook. So uh, please pick that up. Uh, and for many people, you read the book, you're well on your way. But if you want to have more support, we have a lot of great options for you. We have a membership uh, where you can get uh, access to lectures that I've given. Uh, uh, people find that very inspiring. We have a menu service for uh, a year. People really like that. We have a seminar that people can come hang out with us for four days. That's incredible because you learn so much. Uh, it's basically uh, we teach you how to do a functional medicine evaluation, uh, a timeline and a matrix what are the functional medicine labs that I would order, what you might want to think about, uh, and everything that I've learned since writing the books because three years is a lot of new information um, that uh, people would get by coming to the seminar. Uh, we also have uh, the Health Professional Workshop 
uh, which is taught a little more at the clinician level, uh, a lot of cases. And this is how we train and certify uh, clinicians to become certified Wallace Protocol Health Practitioners. So uh, that's a great day. Uh, and then the other uh, really big news for the audience is I'm opening a private practice. So please sign up for the newsletter because I'll announce uh, how people will be able to access me uh, as their private physician. Because I'll, I'll have a very exclusive practice for uh, just a handful of folks, and we'll send out that information uh, uh, later in May. Uh, pardon me, later in April about how to access that uh, private practice. Uh, and uh, I suppose one other uh, really great thing that'll come up in May uh, is a e-course. Uh, 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 again, which sort of summarizes the Walls Protocol. It's a, a lovely introductory course to get people a little further into uh, the, the new science, what to do, um, how to recover, and that uh, they'll hear about that uh, mid-April as well. So lots of great, great stuff happening, uh, but everybody needs to sign up for a newsletter. Uh, at at my website so they can hear about all these uh, wonderful It's amazing. Now that you've retired, you can finally get to work. <laughs> I can get to work, yes. I. So, yeah, I'm still doing my research, but, yeah, I left the VA, so now I'll have the opportunity uh, to have a private practice, and I'm uh, looking forward, very much looking forward Dr. to Dr. Walls, you're an amazing inspiration and a fount of knowledge, and just thank you for what you do and your passion for healthy eating and what it can do for us. Well, thank you so much for having the opportunity to speak to your tribe. You can find the links to the resources Dr. Walls mentions, including her books at LimeNinjaRadio.com. Just go there and scroll down. You'll see her name. Click on that and you'll get to the show notes section and you'll see the links there. Also, we'll have a link to our previous interview with Dr. Walls. That's episode number 97, which we had a while back. And if you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, we'd appreciate it if you'd support our efforts by subscribing. Just go to LimeNinjaRadio.com and you'll see the subscribe button there under the featured episode right on the homepage. And last, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. Did you know that the Swiss Army uses a ninja knife? Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.